Good morning. Good to be with all of you. Uh, when you came in, hopefully you were able to get some notes. If you did not get notes, I don't see the ushers, but hopefully there's a couple ushers that could make sure we get the notes passed out. I know this is right, uh, right after taking the offering. Here comes George. So just slip your hand up. If you didn't get notes, normally I don't give notes, but we need them today. So you need them today. And you can open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's good to look at God's Word together this morning. Well, the general was in despair. It's not that the war had gone poorly. In fact, quite the opposite. The war had gone fantastically. He had led Syria through a string of victories, unbroken successes. But he was losing a different battle. The battle against leprosy. He had leprosy, a cruel, terrible, disfiguring, isolating, terminal disease. He actually heard about this from a prisoner of war, a young lady who was a prisoner of war, of all, of all people. She told him of a, of a man in her home country that could heal him, a prophet from Israel. And so Naaman the Syrian general made his way to Israel with full entourage of you know, military folks and his secretary and, and servants and all of these. And, and he, he finally arrives outside of the prophet's house. The prophet, upon hearing that the general is at the door, doesn't go out to him. Sends his servant out with a very short message. Go, wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And then he leaves. And Naaman is standing there alone, angry. Doesn't this guy know who I am? Like, I'm a general, and he didn't even come out to say hi. And, and aren't there rivers back in Syria? Like, what is this? Go wash in the Jordan. Like, why do you got to wash in a river to be clean? And he heads off, furious, towards home. But one of his servants, kind of, you know, with the entourage going with him, waits for the right opportunity, sees that the, the anger has subsided a bit, and just walks up to him. And we have the words of this servant recorded in the Scriptures. He says, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. It is a great word the prophet has spoken. Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? That's a good word. Naaman hears it differently and turns around and he heads to the Jordan River. And he gets down out of his chariot and he, he takes off his outer garments and he walks down into the river and then up. And then down and then up and seven times down and then up. And on coming up out of the river the seventh time, he is fully restored by the hand of God. Made completely clean, made new, made whole. All the leprosy gone. God had healed the general. But notice how this worked. First, God had humbled the general. First, he had given him something to do that didn't make a ton of sense. Go wash in the river seven times. But the general believed that God would meet him. He took the servant to convince him. But he believed that God would, would meet him. He may not have understood how God would meet him in the water, or why God would meet him in water. But he knew that God would meet him in the water. So he trusted, and he was, he was healed. This morning, we're going to consider continue our series entitled Grace When We Gather. We're just speaking about ways that God meets us when we gather together as a church. Oftentimes, our focus when we come together is really thinking about our own lives. Like, okay, how do I apply this when I go back home? And hopefully there's some of that this morning as well. But, but this series is about talking, how does God meet us when we're together? Like, when we, when we gather as a local church on a Sunday morning, how does God give grace to his people when we gather? And this morning, we're going to be particularly considering the topic of communion. You notice it's set up up front, but... Seemingly, we forgot this morning. We didn't forget. We're going to take this after the message uh, 
this morning. So we're going to consider the topic of communion. And I started with the story of, of Naaman because there's a great parallel between his washing and our eating. There's, some, there's something, there's some kind of a, a similarity. Both are, are acts of faith towards something that God has called his people to do. In one case, God called Naaman, go wash and you'll be healed. And in our case, he calls us to eat of this meal in remembrance of him. So if you have your notes, we are on point number one. Communion is an act of faith. Communion is an act of faith. Now, as I said already, you can have your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 11. I'll confess this is much more a topical message than it is an expositional message. We'll spend most of our time in 1 Corinthians, but we're going to be all over the place. So communion is an act of faith. Couldn't God have found another way to heal Naaman? Like, it was strange. There's thousands of ways God could have chosen to do it. One of which was by the prophet walking out and declaring, you're healed. And that's it. And it would have happened. God could have done it that way. But God in his wisdom required Naaman to take a, a step demonstrating his trust in God. He required him to respond to God's word and believe God's word and act according to God's word. Today we're going to consider communion. Now, communion might not strike you as an unusual thing because, well, we're in a, a culture that is historically Christian. Maybe you've been in uh, church for, for years. Um, you've heard of communion. You know this is what Christians do. Um, but apart from that history, this would strike us as strange. We, we gather together and, and we, we come to worship the Lord and, and we have a meal together. The scripture calls it a meal. But when you look carefully, you say, this is not a meal like I normally have a meal. You know, I usually have a little more than this little piece of bread and this, this juice. How is it, why is it that God uses this? How is it that he would use this particular means? Couldn't God meet us another way? Well, I'll tell you, God does meet us in other ways also, right? He meets us through preaching. He meets us through singing. He meets us through prayer. He meets us, last week we talked about through giving, right? The Lord gives grace through all of these things, but he gave us this meal as well. And as we take this, he intends to meet us by his grace. And there's a part of this as a believer where we can say, well, Lord, I don't know why you use communion or necessarily how you use communion, but I know that you use communion to meet me. And Lord, that's enough. So I'm going to have the faith of Naaman and, 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 and take and eat and trust that you're going to meet me through it. So, so we receive grace through communion. Communion is an act that comes from faith. All right, number two, following along, communion was given by Christ to the church. Given by Christ to the church. So if we go back to the story of Naaman for a second, here's the takeaway you should not get from the story of Naaman, all right? You should not get as a takeaway that the Jordan River is a magical river, okay? And all you got to do is get on over to Israel and dip yourself in the Jordan River and you'll be healed of whatever it is that you have. See, that, that's not how this works. Right? Why was it then that it wouldn't work for us, but it did work for Naaman? What's the difference? Why did it work for Naaman? It worked not because of the river, but because of the Word of God behind the river. That's why it works. Because the Word of God stood behind that promise. God said to him, Go and wash and you'll be clean. And based upon that promise of God, he went and washed and was made clean. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is not special because of the juice or because of the bread. This is grace-giving to us because of the Word of God behind it. Because this is given to us by the Word of God. The church did not come up with this meal. God did. We have communion by the word of the Lord. If you look in your notes, you can see uh, several different passages. The, the Passover being celebrated, uh, the Last Supper 
being celebrated by the, the Lord and his disciples in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And then it is also talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. And that's the passage you might be most familiar with. It's one we, we often read when we take communion together. I'm going to read a little bit of that passage right now. These are the words I would say we read this almost every time we take communion together as a church. So 1 Corinthians 11, I'll begin in verse 23. And pay attention to, to, to what Paul is saying here. I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that this was given by Christ to the church. And here's what Paul says. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have communion by the word of God. Do this, Christ says. We have two things like that as the church. We have communion and baptism. These are the two ordinances of the church, both given explicitly, specifically by the word of God. They're the two ordinances of the church. and The, the word ordinances, that is, they are given by divine ordinance, by divine decree. They are ordinance. They are ordained by God for the church, for our good, that he might give us grace through these things. And so the church receives the ordinances from God. Again, we, we don't make these things up. We receive them from the Lord. And so there's, in your notes, there's two things the church needs to avoid. One is to creating our own ordinances. Church doesn't tell the church how to run the church. God tells the church how to run the church. He gives the ordinances. We follow the ordinances. This is how it works. And, and many another Mm. Uh, branch of Christianity or cult has added to the ordinance. Added to the ordinances over the years. And created their own things rather than staying to what the Lord has given to us. So we, we should not make up other ordinances, but we also must receive the ordinances from God. We, we don't want to fail to trust God through what He's given. And Part of why I started with the story of Naaman is because I think there is something as we like come down the aisle to receive the, the bread and the cup, there's something about it that doesn't make sense to our minds. Right? I mean, I don't know. Why, why does God do it this way? I, 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 can, I could say a lot more than, than just this. I don't know why. It reminds us of Christ. There's more that could be said. But I know that he gave this to us. And he's going to meet us through it. And so the calling of the church is to receive the ordinances of the Lord and practice the ordinances of the Lord. Now, one other thing uh, I want to note is that the, the communion was given by Christ to the church, as in specifically to the church. In other words, if I could uh, flesh this out, a little, not to Christians, but to the church. The church, when we say that, refers to the gathered congregation of the Lord. So the church is, is local churches meeting in different places. Like right now, praise God, right now, across several time zones, there are churches meeting, lifting high the name of Jesus. Praise God for that. And it is into their hands that these ordinances are given. So the ordinances are not for individual Christians to practice individually. As though maybe... a a dad would take his son out back to, and baptize him in the pool or something like that. Right? I'm, I'm not trying to say that's terribly wrong. And the New Testament pattern is that this is for the church, that we do this when we gather. And in the same way, communion is a meal that we take together. It, it's not intended for two buddies that go hiking and you know, just amazed at the glory of God and say, let's take communion together. This, this is 
for the local church when we gather so that we can protect the ordinances and celebrate the ordinances of God together. All right, number three. Communion does not save. Communion does not save. So um, Catholics have something very similar to communion in form, though I would say the theology of it is, is so different that it's almost not comparable. But it looks very similar outside. They call it the Eucharist, and it's received at the Mass, and it's, very, it's, it's, it's this in outward form. But again, the theology behind it is extremely different. They celebrate the Eucharist, their version of communion, if I can say it that way, with every Mass, and it's the high point of the Mass. They, act, they, they believe that every time the priest says the blessing over the elements, that Christ is sacrificed afresh on the altar in front of you. And this is believed because it is known that God's people have sinned. And so they, as they think, need a fresh sacrifice for those sins. And then the people come forward and eat of the actual body of Christ, which was just sacrificed, and drink of the actual blood of Christ. This is the Roman Catholic view, and it fits the Roman Catholic view of salvation, which is way too nuanced and extensive for me to do any justice to standing here, so I'm not going to try. But I will say that it fits their view of salvation. Um, the Eucharist is necessary for maintaining salvation for the Catholic. It, you, you, you receive it and you are made right with God. And then you go off and sin. You have to come back and receive it again to be made right with God again. And if you are excommunicated, if you are cut off from the altar, the Catholic altar, that, that is spiritual damnation. It, it, is, it is the most serious possible thing for one who is a Catholic who believes in God. Um, because they need that new sacrifice of Christ to cover new sins. Okay, so contrary to that, the scriptures speak not of re-sacrificing Christ week after week, but rather of remembering the once-for-all sacrifice for Christ week after week. And that's what we come together to do. So back to the verses that we just read. When he had given thanks, he broke it. This is verse 24, 1 Corinthians 11. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're looking back upon the once for all finished sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The, 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 that's what we do when we gather. We, we are looking to Christ. We are, we are to come to the cross as we come to communion. To, to remember again the, the, the Lord who died for us, that He would take away our sins. So God does not take away our sins through communion. He takes away our sins by His Son's death on the cross. That's where sins were dealt with. Glory to God. And so we come, friends, let no one come to communion to, to become right with God, for it won't do it for you. Let no one be baptized to become right with God, as though these things are some mystical, magical elements, as though simply by doing this as a ritual, that would have an impact on the soul. That's, that's not how this works. That's not how it worked for Naaman. It's not that the Jordan River wasn't magical. Jordan River was effective because he believed the Word of God. It was that faith that made it effective. And so we come to the Lord by faith. So friend, this has been confused since the beginning of the church. The enemy has has sown confusion into the hearts of believers uh, that, that, and, and weighed down believers with this sense that like, I've got to get back here in order to be made right with God, in order to maintain my salvation. Friend, 
we come to this table as those who have received the free salvation of God. Um, so this is why you've heard us say, if you've been here for communion in the past, that we'll often say something like, this is a meal for believers. If you're not a believer, we'd ask that you would observe and not take this meal. What are we, what are we doing here? We're, we're trying to... We're trying to protect a couple different groups. We're trying to protect unbelievers from coming forward with a kind of mysticism, believing that simply taking this will help. It will not. Look unto the Lord to be saved. If you come to the table without looking to the Lord, you will not be saved. And you may be worse off. The Scripture warns strongly against taking communion. With an, in an unworthy manner. And to take it uh, magically without looking to the God behind it is, is, is not taking it in a worthy manner. So we, we seek to protect unbelievers. Uh, churches call that fencing the table. You can imagine putting up a fence around the table and only allowing in believers. We fence it, pastors fence it with their words to, to protect unbelievers from, from seeing it wrongly. And also to protect believers, to protect sheep from, from allowing the enemy to twist it slightly in their mind that, oh good, I'm glad I made it to communion You know, after six weeks of being sick so that I can be right with God again. No, my friend. You are right with God because of the work of Christ. Believe it and stand on it. And if you can't get to the table because you're sick, you can still get to Jesus when you're sick. Glory to God. So, I do say that God gives grace through this meal. I don't mean saving grace, okay? I mean grace like strength and power and the ability to understand His Word more, a heart for Him, encouragement, hope. He works these things within us as we receive this gift from Him. All right, number four. Communion after baptism. Communion after baptism. So you've heard us say, every week we do communion. Hey, so communion is for believers. Indeed, it is. But more could be said than that, which is why we're doing a sermon on this, to flesh that out a little bit more. Because the Lord did give us two ordinances. So if we think about this ordinance, communion, communion is the meal that the family of God shares together. So think about a home. You got a home. Where, where do you have your meal? Kitchen, the dining room. What people used to eat in. I think now it's often the kitchen, maybe the family room, wherever. Right? Let's say the kitchen. You gather around the kitchen table together, and 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 you you take this meal, and it's a beautiful picture, friend. The family of God sitting around the table. Christ Himself at the head of the table. This is how the meal got started. And this is where the meal points one day as well. When we are around a table with our Lord once again. And he again passes out the food to his disciples. Right? That's the picture. There in the family room. Right? So that's, that's, that's what communion is. But, but this, this house that we're in, we're in the kitchen of the house. This house has a front door. That front door, the front door to God's house to the place where God's people are is called baptism. That's the ordinance by which God's people publicly identify with God's people. Say, hey, I'm one of them. I belong to Jesus. That's what, that's what baptism is. So in the New Testament, the pattern that we see over and over, the only pattern that we see regarding baptism is that it is the response of new believers to becoming a Christian. Baptism is the response of a new believer when they become a Christian. So I've got a couple examples in your notes. One is of Philip when he shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. He goes, he shares the gospel with this man from Isaiah 53, which we read this morning, as it turns out. He says, do you understand what this is about? And he was able to preach Jesus to Philip from Isaiah 53. Uh, Philip preached Jesus to this, to this eunuch. The eunuch becomes a Christian. And they see some water and says, what's preventing me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's go. And he gets baptized. So that's one example. There are 
lots of New Testament examples. There's one here in teaching where, where Peter was, was preaching. I think it was the first ever sermon in the Christian church. Man, I wish they had recorded that one, don't you? Gosh. Well, I mean, they did. Just written down. Just written down. So Peter preaches Christ. He preaches sin. He preaches salvation. And, and the, the people, the people he was preaching to had actually killed Jesus. And they said, what should we do? And Peter says this in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Because baptism is that, that outer act of that inner faith. So it's the repentance and faith in Jesus that will save you. But hey, be baptized. And this, this really mattered right then because that would separate them from their Jewish uh, religious ceremonies and put them in a new, completely new family, the, the church into the family of God. Baptism is that initial doorway. So throughout the New Testament, we see baptism following conversion, following coming to Christ. Um, so, so when we see people taking communion in the New Testament, who's taking it? Baptized believers. That's who takes communion. Baptized believers that, that take it. It's those who have come through the front door, said, yes, these are my people. I belong to the church. This is my God. I belong to Jesus. Baptized, and then you sit down at the table and you take communion week after week together. So the normative pattern through the New Testament is that baptism comes before taking communion. So I'll say it more pointedly than I mean, but I want to make sure I don't, you don't miss my point. If you haven't been baptized, don't take communion. There you go. If you haven't been baptized, don't take communion. Baptism's the front door. Now, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to step that back gently because I don't think it's quite that, quite that harshly spoken in the New Testament, but it's the clear pattern of the New Testament which we are wise to follow, the pattern of that early church. So a couple, a couple points, side points perhaps here. First, to adults, listen, if, if you've not been baptized, and by baptized I mean being baptized in response to your repentance and faith, in that order, that you, you, you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then got baptized. In other words, it's not getting baptized as an infant because your parents wanted you to get baptized. Baptism, dis, divorced from repentance and faith, is not baptism. It's not New Testament baptism. It, it, it's some liturgy of man. But it's not the baptism that we're, we're given in the scriptures. Um, so if you haven't been baptized after conversion as, a, as an act of obedience to the Lord, let me appeal to you to be baptized. And I'll appeal to you with the words that Peter pr preached to those who were wondering how to be saved. He said, repent and be baptized. And so, friend, be baptized still stands. Repent and be baptized. So, listen, if, that, if that's you... Anytime I talk about baptism, we usually talk about this with our new members, in our new members class. Um, I, I get big eyes start looking at me. Oh, wow. I didn't know I hadn't obeyed the Lord in this. I need to obey the Lord. Listen, if that's you, praise God. Come talk to me or Sean. We would love to walk with you towards baptism, to talk about, make sure you understand what it means and, and all of those things. And um, we've already started talking about the idea of we're probably going to end up with a baptism service here in the next few weeks uh, for those that, that feel called to do that uh, and, and to obey the Lord in that. So wanted to talk to adults. I also want to talk to parents who are also adults, but you know what I mean. I want to talk to parents because as you're thinking about this, you're probably considering your own kids with regards to communion and with regards to baptism. Um, so, so let me just say, considering baptism about kids takes wisdom okay because baptism should be taken as an act of faith 
And knowing when a child is actually converted and actually has faith, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Here's what I can tell you. A six-year-old that grows up in a Christian home might just be a great kid following along all the rules in that Christian home. They know all the songs to all the Sunday school, all the words. They know when to stand and when to sit, and they know how to pray. They know how to obey mommy and daddy, and they may know nothing of Jesus personally. It's hard. On the other hand, it is very possible for a six-year-old to hear the gospel and praise the Lord. That's what gets preached in children's ministry here. For a six-year-old to hear the gospel and to respond and to know God with not the same maturity, but with the same certainty as any adult in the room. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Don't, don't stop them, says the Lord. The gospel's not that complicated. It is entirely possible for a six-year-old to grasp it if the Lord were to, 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 to breathe upon them. So, parents, you've got a, a, a difficult job as you try to discern when's the right time for baptism. Uh, Sean and I actually wrote a letter about this. We've got it at the Resource Center to parents to help you think about these things. So if you haven't seen that, pick it up after church so that you can think carefully. It's got a book recommendation in there and then just an appeal. Hey, come talk to us so that we can help you figure out when it would be wise to baptize your kid. Okay, why are we talking about baptism? We're talking about baptism because that should happen before communion. And so, so, uh, so if you've not been baptized should probably not take communion. Here's what I mean by probably. If, if that which is stopping you from being baptized is situational, you don't have the opportunity to be baptized. You want to be baptized, you're ready to be baptized, but you just can't be baptized yet. And for, for many years in the church, that was true for us. We used to, up until two years ago, three years ago, we did our baptisms in the Rappahannock River. And if you came to me today and said you want to be baptized, I'd be great. I recommend June. You know, recommend June. We would have to wait some time. And I think during that waiting, if you're committed to following the Lord in obedience, probably okay to take communion. On the other hand, parents, you think about your kids, if they're not ready to be baptized, if they're not mature enough, if you're not so convinced that they're a Christian as to put them forward to the pastors to be baptized, they ought not be taking communion. That's the front door to the, to the church. Um, and in the same way, adults, if there's, if there's something in your heart where you're saying, I'm just not ready. I'm not so sure I'm a Christian or I'm, I'm just not ready to be up there or I'm not, I'm not ready to, to profess before all these people that I'm a believer. And if you're not ready for baptism, you're not ready for communion. These are ordinances for believers and they're, they're meant to go together with baptism coming first. Okay. All right, so now, last two points, five and six, about how we approach communion. So, say you've made it this far. Good job. You are a baptized believer, and you're wondering how to approach the Lord's Supper. How do we come to the table? The first thing we're called to is, is to be right with others. Called to be right with others. So 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to get back into that passage briefly. Um, I, I read the, the part that we read every week. Let me read the part that comes right after that, that we don't read every week. But we need to hear and consider as a church. So this is 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And that is what I referred to earlier of protecting people by fencing this, warning people, don't, don't treat this differently than the Lord intended. 
So what's the context here? What does it mean? There's, there's, a, there's a phrase, there's an unworthy manner phrase that he uses. And then, and then he says in verse 29, without discerning the body. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. Will be, what does it mean to discern the body? It, it means to discern this body. The, the people. The body of Christ. The, the, the church itself. It means to, to, to honor those that you're taking communion with. Now how can I say that with certainty? Because that is what was going on here. Here's what was happening. So, so back then they didn't, they didn't have church buildings yet, right? So church, Corinth, first generation Christians, they just got saved. Where are we going to meet? Well, out by the river for a while, and then it rains. So now where are we going to meet? Well, we're going to go meet in one of the wealthier Christians' homes. Great. Praise God for that. They had a home where they could all meet together. So they would go and meet there. Um, but what began to happen is that there was a kind of classism within the church. And, and the rich people would all get to church, that rich person's house first, and they'd get there and they'd eat together, lavishly feasting. Feasting to the point of, of being completely full and even drunk. They've drank so much. And then the, then the workers would show up, the poor Christians would show up after, and there would be nothing left for them. And they were calling that the Lord's Supper. And, and there was a disdain, a complete lack of care from one class to the other and from one Christian to the other. And that's what we see uh, back up in verse 20. This is, this is a, quite a statement that the Lord makes to them. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? So here's, here's the principle. Praise God, what we have learned, we have, we, what's been passed down to us is not that. <laughs> and yet we, we still need to discern are we discerning the body? Are we honoring our brothers and sisters as we come to the table? This isn't the only passage in Scripture that would indicate the importance that God has when we come to worship God that we're right with others. This is throughout the Scripture. When you think of the first and second greatest commandment, love God, love others, it just goes together. It just goes together. But we see it in Matthew 5, I think I put that in your, your notes, on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about worshiping God. This is what he says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, that sounds like worship, you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So the Lord calls his people when you come to worship me, come right with each other. You're right with each other before you come and worship. It's a startlingly high bar to me. Because I, I don't know, I think of worshiping God as a, it's pretty high on the list of things we could be doing. And God says, stop, go to this first. Get right, and then come and worship. And so, friend, Communion, as you approach communion, as you approach the table, at any week that you, you come, it is an opportunity for you to ask, am I right with my brothers and sisters? It's not just an opportunity, it's a time you should. You should ask, am I right with my brothers and sisters? There's a sin that I've committed against someone that I have refused to make right. Or maybe they've sinned against me and they've apologized, but I have refused to forgive. Go and be made right with your brother, and then come back to the altar. I think we could, we could think of this also in terms of the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer. Not many lines in the Lord's Prayer. There's the line that we would hopefully expect. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who are debtors to us. These go together. The horizontal and the vertical go together. So, as we sit to take communion. Am I right with others? Is there someone I haven't forgiven? Is there someone I've sinned against that I, that I need to go make that right before I 
take communion. Now, hopefully, normatively, week by week, you're, you can pass that test and, and move right along. Um, I'll tell you, it's not... It's far too often that I have to do last-minute preparation for communion. And sometimes it's elbowing Tiff on the front row with the bread in hand. Hey, love, I'm sorry how I treated you this morning. That was wrong. That was my fault. Would you forgive me? To which she just always smiles and says, of course, Now, I, in that example, can do that because she's right next to me. <laughs> Convenient. If she wasn't, I would need to put the elements down and go home and come back next week to take communion. Because God cares about how we are with each other when we come to Him. So I just want to ask, have you ever, ever, withheld from taking communion because you weren't right with somebody? If, if you haven't, let me just encourage you to consider this. this. This matters before the Lord. We approach the Lord as we approach the table. And this matters to Him, that we are right with our brothers and sisters. So if you've never withheld, then let, let, me, let me encourage you to, to think on that and apply that. Because Christ calls us to honor the other children who are coming to the table as we come to the table. Okay, so how should we approach communion? Right with each other. Last one, how should we approach communion? Right with God. Right with God. I think for this we could stay right in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lord, forgive us our debts. That's what communion really is about. We're, we're coming freshly aware, okay, yep. I, I know week to week, I, I know I need a Savior. I'm coming acknowledging my sin and confessing my sin. So, and so I guess there's a, there is a category of believer, yes, believer, who has temporarily hardened their heart and said, I'm, I'm not going to confess that sin. I like that sin. I'm not repenting of that sin. Um, uh, friend, if you're, if you're holding on to a secret sin that you're refusing to repent, don't take communion. This is a meal for those who are repenting. That, that's what I mean by being right with God. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm being careful with my, my language. Uh, being right with God does not mean being perfect. And it doesn't mean not sinning this week. Or when we were ready, there would be no line. There'd be no line. Uh, this meal, blessedly, is for sinners. But it's for repenting sinners. So are you repenting? That's the other thing we're doing as we're kind of preparing ourselves for communion. Am I right with others? Am I right with God? Okay. Now I want to talk to you, you know, you can put yourself in one of two groups. I don't know what group you're in. Maybe you don't know what group you're in. I'm just going to talk about two different groups, okay? Maybe one week you're in one group and one week you're in the next group. I get it. Um, I want to talk to those who are less introspective, right? You go through the week and you, you're not really struggling looking inward very much. You're, you're focused on God and life and other things. And you could go six weeks without thinking of a specific sin that you've committed. Friend, if that's you, then come before the Lord at communion and ask, Lord, if there's anything, reveal it to me. I, I, I want to see that I may repent. And, and Lord, I know I need you even though I can't see exactly where I need you. And Lord, give me a soft heart as I approach you. Right? So, so I think that person who's less introspective, you're strong in faith. You're ready. You come right up to the, come right up to the table. But maybe you're weaker in repentance. Strong in faith, weak in repentance. So as you're, as you're holding the bread and the cup, be about repentance. Okay? That's for the less introspective now there's the more introspective people out there and and you don't understand that other group at all <laughs> six weeks without thinking of a sin. i don't go six minutes without thinking of a sin 
literally have never approached the table without a deep awareness of unworthiness. In fact, maybe you've struggled to take communion. So deep has been that impression of unworthiness. So, for you, let me encourage you to prepare for communion in a slightly different direction. Your repentance is strong. Your faith is weak. Let communion be an exercise of faith where you take the elements of Christ and, and, and as you look at those elements, the bread and the cup, these are reminders as surely as that bread is in your hand and that cup is in your hand, so surely did Christ give His body and His blood for the redemption of sinners. So surely, that's, what, that's part of how God gives us grace. We hold this in our hands and it reminds us, oh yeah, this is real. He is real. He really did this. So let it be an exercise in faith that, that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. And, and I think that's where the, the weak in conscience, the, the introspective tends to get stuck is just in that place of knowing your sins so much it's hard to believe that Christ is enough. Friend, let this be an act of faith. He is enough and it is finished. But then also, not just generally He is enough, but look at that bread and that cup and then look at what hand it is in. Because, surprise of surprise, it is in your hand. That is profound. He gave his body and blood to sinful disciples. Passing it around the table is a picture of what he was about to do on Calvary. So it's an opportunity for you to say, Lord, I don't deserve for this to be in my hand, but in my hand it is, and I will trust you. I will trust that you are enough for me. So for you, friend, the... Uh, Communion table should be a place of refuge. You know, you get, your conscience gets battered. Every time you sin and fail, it just crushes you. Let the communion table be a place of refuge. This is not Sinai thundering the law at you. This is looking upon Golgotha where he took the penalty of the law for you. And then he says, here, for you, here. Come and eat. Come and drink. So communion's not for the perfect. It's for the repenting. It's a meal for the spiritually hungry. So, how do we come to the table? We come to the table the same way we come to Christ himself. Humbly, gratefully, joyfully, gladly, amazed that he would suffer for our sin. Affected that his suffering was enough, even for our sin. Coming to the table is coming to him and communing with him. And so we're going to get to do that together. So, let's prepare ourselves to come to the table. So worship team, come on up. Now I'm going to give instructions in a minute on how we're going to do this. And normally when the worship team comes up, I lose everybody's attention. I'm just going to admit that and then ask for your attention again as they come up. Because I want to invite you to the table. I'm going to invite you to the table. But you say, I'm not a Christian. Then I say, then repent and look to Christ. Repent. He has prepared the table for you. Here is the symbol of his body and blood shed for you. Do you believe in God? Do you know that you're a sinner? Have you heard the offering of salvation? Then take by faith of the Lord. And then come take and eat. And then come talk to Sean or me so we can pray with you and help you as you begin your walk after Christ. But Ken, I'm not baptized. And you kind of made a point about that. I'll say again, if you're not ready to be baptized, then I think you should wait on communion. However, if you're ready to be baptized, then listen, then resolve to come talk to one of the pastors after church.
and then come take communion. Come receive from, from the Lord's table and then, and then come talk to us so that we can, we can get you through the front door of the church. But can I'm not right with someone right now? Then I would say, are they here? Like, go talk to them. Like, in a minute, it's going to be all jumbled. People are going to be walking around everywhere. Nobody will notice. Just go to them. Hey, I need to repent. They're probably sitting right next to you, just be honest. They're probably sitting right next to you. <laughs> and if they're not here, then wait. Then wait. As an act of worship to the Lord, as an act of honoring the body of Christ, wait. Go make it right. And then come back next time and take communion. Last one I want to invite is the one who doesn't feel worthy to come. This is a meal for the spiritually hungry. This is God giving grace to those who are thirsty for the waters of life. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So do you thirst? Then come to him this morning and drink. All right, so church, let's stand together. I'm going to explain the, the details. If you've been here, you know what we're going to do. So we're going to form a line here in the middle. And, and people are just going to come down and, and, and take communion. Let me tell you, you don't have to come right away. If, if, you, if you want to take a few moments to pray, we're going to have two full songs that are going to play, which is more than enough time to get all of us through. So you could, you could sit back down and, and, and while the music plays, contemplate, pray, ask the Lord for forgiveness, whatever it is. Then when you're ready, come on down. Um, if you're over in the side here, probably everyone here knows this. I don't know. But what you have to do, it's a little weird. You got to like walk out back, then around, and then come down the main aisle with everyone. And then you can come back, come back in. So we're all, we're all going to take it that way. In just a moment, we're going to get started. It always starts a little strange because we actually want our worship team members to be allowed to take communion. Right? Uh, so they start by taking communion which means they're not playing their instruments. So we have a few minutes where they're taking communion. We don't have the songs. And then we can begin to sing together as they're ready and receive communion. And then we'll come up and close. So, so Lord, now we come to you. We are so grateful for your sacrifice on our behalf. And we are so grateful for this table, symbolic of your sacrifice, where you meet your people even such as us, each week. Thank you that you are present. In Jesus' name, amen.